Are you tired of ticket fees? Pay the price for your ticket that is advertised and not a penny more. Go to TickSplits.com. That's T-I-X-B-L-I-T-Z.com. Fantastic prices on all sports and concert tickets. Guaranteed seats, no fees. TickSplits.com. That's T-I-X-B-L-I-T-Z.com. Welcome, welcome everybody to another episode of Haltech Hall. Good morning, Mr. Haltech. How are you? Good morning, Double A. Uh, it's kind of a melancholy uh, midweek between between the Packers game and, and the Chiefs game coming up because obviously the Packers uh, did exactly to the Bears what the Bears did to the Packers last year in December, winning at home and uh, making sure that the road team uh, fails to make the playoffs. That's exactly what happened. Green Bay was ousted from the playoffs last year, and Green Bay returned the favor this year. The only difference being it's the wrong team that's advancing to the playoffs. Uh, and you know, part of the part of the Bears' problem is their failure to finish games. We've we've looked at this all year long, and uh, yet again, um, it was a case of too little too late for the Bears this past Sunday. Yeah, I mean, uh, you thought last December after that great game that maybe the tides had turned a little bit. Uh, unfortunately, that has not been the case. Uh, Green Bay went out and spent a ton of money on defense, and even though they didn't necessarily uh, gain a ton in statistical rankings, uh, they did improve on the defensive side of the ball, and uh, they also um, installed a coach that's uh, very big on running the ball, and they've had a great uh, running game and you know the Bears uh, defense I think did uh, a, a pretty admirable job uh, they just didn't do enough and you I mean you talk about the Bears not finishing well honestly the Bears biggest problem to me has been them not starting well they have not scored a touchdown in the first quarter all year <laughs> like it's, well, it's, it's it does it's, it does it does seem like that. it's brutal I don't know I really don't think they have I was listening to to Waddle and Sylvie the other day, and Waddle was saying that that I don't think maybe one time they have scored a touchdown in the first quarter, but what? And so yeah, I mean the finishes haven't been great, but the fact that they've even been in the games to to uh, you know be in the conversation for having a finish has been honestly a testament to the defense, and has also been a testament to the way that the the offense generally has come out in the second half uh, and played well. Um, you know, it's just, uh, unfortunately, the I think that the, the defense of the Packers kind of has Mitch's number and they kind of have Nagy's number, and we really couldn't get anything going. We really didn't do some of the things that I thought were working in the previous um, three games. Uh, with regards to moving the pocket, with regards to rolling Mitch out, 
Uh, a lot of the things that worked well, uh, you know, against Dallas, uh, we didn't seem to be really be trying. Um, and it, you know, it, it was, uh, it was a kind of a frustrating game to watch. I thought Mitch actually, uh, played pretty well considering um, he was kind of you know a, a typical roller coaster Mitch game where he makes some some plays that make you say wow and then he makes some plays and throws that just make you throw your hands up and say what is he thinking um, you know uh, and then of course when you're playing Green Bay you're also playing the refs and I, I'm oh. not a huge guy to blame the refs necessarily but the call on Patterson absolutely changed the game. Um, you know, if we get the ball there and score, that's a 14 point swing. Um, I mean, it's just, it's brutal. Like the, even if you, you know, it's a bang, bang play. So, so don't blow the whistle. And then if they want to review it, they can review it. But these refs, not only are they bad, they're arrogant. So they, 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 they don't make the right call. And then in the instances where if they just swallow the whistle, they that would let replay do its job. They don't do it, you know. So they, they, I don't know. It's just seems like every time against the Packers, the refs uh, give them all the calls. I mean, whether it's uh, Aaron Rodgers snapping the ball after the play clock goes off every single time, um, or you know, egregious uh, missed calls like that. The call on Patterson on the on the reception on the one yard line was ridiculous. Uh, you know, there probably should have been a pass interference on Robinson. I mean, you just go on and on. Every single Bears-Packers game is like the same damn thing. We're just not quite good enough. Our quarterback's just not quite good enough, and we're playing against the refs, too. It's brutal. <laughs> yeah, We can go all the way back to week one. The, the last drive of the game when Trubisky tried to hit Robinson in the left corner of the end zone, which was right in front of us where we were sitting up, up in the 400 sections. Yeah. That, that was pass interference. The guy armbarred Robinson, allowed Amos to get around from behind and cut in front of him to get the, uh, to get the interception. Uh, it, and of course, Nagy, when asked, he says, You're, they're not going to change that call. Right. Now, later on in the year, they have changed that call. And interesting if you go back, and I don't know if you've got uh, the NFL field pass where you can go back and listen, watch condensed versions of the game. They're all 22 of the games or even the radio broadcasts of the game. Listen to Wayne Larrabee and his sidekick. They're literally saying this is going to be overturned and it's going to be at least a holding if not a pass interference call. This yeah. is the Green Bay Packer announcers saying that that's going to happen and of course it didn't yeah so, we just never we just never get calls against the packers it's it's unbelievable doesn't matter the, what stadium the the uh, yeah that that call against patterson absolutely atrocious and even uh blandino came on yep. uh, the, right during the game said what are what are they saying there's no fair catch signal nope he doesn't hit him early. He doesn't hit him with the crown of his helmet. He hits him with his shoulder pad right into the shoulders of the of the punt return man. And where's the penalty? There obviously it's, was it, none. It's an unbelievable play. It's an exciting play that the refs robbed 
the game of. I don't care what team you're rooting for. That was an exciting football play. And instead, what are we talking about? We're talking about the stupid refs. Like, it's brutal. Like, it just it's, it, it robs the game of excitement every damn game that we get you watch on the NFL talking about these refs. They're horrible. And it's just going to get worse because all the older guys are continuing to retire. And the NFL has zero plan on how to make these guys full time, how to develop them. You know, they just get worse and worse and worse. And they're almost like passive aggressively bad. The more rules and replays that get added, uh, it, it's it's insane. I mean, the number of guys that are going to that already retired this past year and now are their newer guys. It's gonna get worse, and it's gonna. Unfortunately, it's gonna get worse before it gets better. And you talk about that pass interference rule that they added. Well, the refs all year have basically passive aggressively not been calling it, and based, you know, just saying it's got to be like unbelievably egregious. And so you don't even blame the refs as to why, or the the coaches as to why they don't throw the flags because the the number of times that those calls have actually been overturned is so few. That's not worth the timeout. Well, in the in this game, later in the game, they actually had a booth review on the Robinson play, and of course, it didn't get overturned. Um, you know, and I don't know why Nagy didn't throw the flag on the Patterson catch. Um, like I thought that was close enough that they should have that they should have reviewed it. Uh, yes. But I didn't seem like they had a great. They didn't seem like they had a great like super close up. Uh, view, which is a shame, uh, you know, because again, it's like every stadium should have the same camera setup that's provided by the league, so that so that you have. I mean, it's ridiculous that some games they have these amazing camera angles and that can affect the outcome, and some games and stadiums they just don't have them. I mean, that doesn't make any sense. Every game should be stadium should be outfitted with the same NFL cameras that are standardized throughout the league and are used for replay. Like you, you can't just be beholden to whether or not we get the, you know, the the crappy uh, noon crew on Fox or we get the, you know, the top of the line NBC Sunday night crew. Like it's just it's it's affecting games. It truly is on the Patterson play that that's a penalty that's not subject to review. So Wait, but but no, it is if the ref doesn't blow the whistle. If the ref just lets the play go, it would be a change of possession, which is absolutely reviewable. And they have been they have told the refs that in those instances they're supposed to let the play play out and not blow the whistle because blowing the whistle is what makes it unreviewable. The fact that it's unreviewable is a stupid thing also that needs to be changed, but that's how it's written is if, if you let the play go on and the change of possession happens, well, then Green Bay could throw the flag and then they could review it. But because he blew the whistle and was so sure and arrogant that he knew what was happening on that bang-bang play, it's not reviewable, which is stupid in and of itself. But if they've told them, let the play happen. That's why guys are told not to let the ball roll around. Go pick it up. The refs are supposed to. Just let the change of possession happen, not blow the whistle so that the review can happen. But they don't do it because, you know, ultimately they don't want to be replaced. But unfortunately, we're now in the HD world and, and everybody's got game pass and they've got opportunities to to uh, slow it down and put clips up on Twitter and every which way. 
So, you know, I mean, yes, the ref's job is probably harder than ever because you've got millions of home referees watching and, and judging as it's happening. But at the same time, they've got more technology to support them to get the call right than ever, and they just choose not to use it. And that's to me, is just stupidity in here. They're, they're going to be forced into using, I believe, and because of all of this, not only fans that are disgruntled, but your previous head of officiating, you know, the Mike Perea's of the world, mm-hmm. the, uh, the Dean Blandino's of the world, um, they're frustrated in the lack of calls. So right. um, there's a couple of things that I think we'll see. I think we're going to see the eye in the sky. Uh, I'm, that's got to come into play sooner or later, maybe as soon as the next collective bargaining agreement. There is an absolute easy fix for delay of game penalties because you've already got these headsets on. The Every single official's got a headset. There is no reason why the back judge, who is the responsible for making the delay call, and the reasoning is... He's looking at the the 40-second clock, and when it hits zero, then his eyes come down to the the center to see if the ball is in play. So there's a a little bit of a gap. Bullshit. If, like you said, with the cameras, if the league had cameras in every stadium exactly the same, the 40-second clock should be in every stadium exactly the same. The back judge can line up where his eyes, the 40-second the clock is in view, is same as the center is. So you can see zero, you can see simultaneously whether or not that ball has been snapped. It's not snapped at zero, it's before it hits zero. And if they don't want to do that, since they have their headsets, there's there can be a timer synced to the back judge's headset Absolutely. that a buzzer that a buzzer goes off as soon as that clock hits zero and he can just stare at the ball. And and not to, not only that, but you, this game, everybody talks about this game's a game of inches. The spots in the NFL are unbelievably awful. The, 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 the chains and the spots. And I mean, every, you know, half the time when the game's on the line, the players are spotting the ball themselves. Like, you know, it, it's it's ridiculous. I mean, you know, it, it, it's a game of inches, and and literally that decides games. And you can sit and you want to watch the all 22 or the condensed version or whatever. You could find in every single game probably five or six awful spots, like just terrible. And and it's like the referees. It's not for any good reason. It's not like it's difficult. It's just they're just not paying attention. Like it's just not a it's not a priority. Um, I think that honestly, the biggest thing that's going to affect change is is legalized gambling, because when you have more and more people betting on these games and people's money is involved more and more. I mean, there's already a ton of betting on games, but when you have more and more of it, I think and the league is, you know, potentially uh, benefiting from it, then maybe that will push them over the edge. But it's like, you know, you, you, the fact of the matter is, is that. These refs are part-time employees. They don't do anything in the off-season to get better. They don't have any kind of program to like improve themselves. 
And, uh, you know, they go back to their jobs as lawyers and business people, dentists, whatever they are in the off season. And it's like, you know, this is a billion dollar business is 365 days a year of, of fan interest and, and monetization of the product. And you've got, you know, the most important people uh, possibly who are adjudicating the outcomes of these games and and you don't even care about making them a full-time employee. I mean, it's like, it, what if judges uh, were part-time employees and, and that's how we handled the, the, uh, the laws of, of, uh, of the city and, you know, municipalities. It doesn't make any sense. Like it's crazy, but you know, it's just like, Oh, that's the way we've been doing it. Like it's all fine and good. Well, you know what? The technology has, has, has gotten to the point where, it just can't be anymore. I mean, you're seeing it in baseball. You're seeing it in all the sports. It just has to change. Uh, it has, to, and I think it has to be before the next CBA. They have to do something, you know. And you talk about the eye in the sky. I mean, that's what it's got to be. There's got to be somebody watching every game who just says, "Hey, whoa, 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 hold up, that's not, that's wrong," you know. Like, what would be the, what, who could be against that? Like it's only gonna, you know, and and nobody cares about the games being longer. It's just more advertising money for everybody. Like everybody's totally fine with watching a four-hour football game. It's not like baseball, <laughs> you know. So uh, that's a, that's a that's a good point. We're gonna continue this conversation with uh, with a buddy of our show, the incomparable Zach Pearson who covers the Bears for BearReport.com, and he's a member of the Pro Football Writers Guild. Uh, just an amazing talent. We're going to discuss this and more. Uh, but we're going to take an early pause for to, to hear from our sponsor, TickSplits.com. And when we come back, Zach Pearson will be joining us. So you're looking for great ticket deals. Who is it? Well, TixBlitz.com has you covered. From the biggest sporting events to Broadway shows and concerts, TixBlitz.com has the best ticket selection at the very best prices out there and no service fees. So the price you see is the price you pay. Plus, TixBlitz.com donates up to 25% of their proceeds to charity. TixBlitz.com has the tickets you want when you want them. Go to T-I-X-B-L-I-T-Z.com today. That's TixBlitz.com. Every ticket, every venue everywhere all right welcome back thanks again to our sponsor ticksblitz.com uh we're very excited right now to bring on a guest who has been on the show before uh he is zach pearson good morning mr pearson how are you good good how are you guys doing thanks for having me back on uh, you're always welcome zach we appreciate you taking the time to join us here on the Dallas hall show right before we brought you on we were talking about the what can only be described as the atrocious state of officiating. Obviously, we're Bears fans here, and we're talking about what happened uh, with the Bears game on Sunday. There were a couple of uh, calls and non-calls that uh, were just absolutely game-changing. You can go all the way back to the first game of the year uh, versus uh, Green Bay when Trubisky threw that interception in the end zone. I still think that that Robinson was armbarred, which allowed Amos to get around the uh, receiver and grab the ball for an interception. But it happens every game. In every game, we're seeing more and more of these problems. And what Aaron and I were talking about was, I don't know if it has to happen now or if it's going to wait until the the new collective bargaining agreement, but we've got to see the eye in the sky come in 
to play here sooner or later. Uh, and ultimately, they have to do something to get the calls right. They talked about it at the owners' meeting afterwards. They, they're going to review officiating from the, from top to bottom. I seriously think that Riveron is gone because he's been absolutely terrible. Going, let's go all the way back to the to Zach Miller's touchdown that he overturned a couple of years ago down in New Orleans that ended his career after after the catch and the atrocious, egregious, terrible injury where he almost lost his leg. And to have that touchdown taken away from him was just absolutely incomparable to all Bears fans. And quite frankly, most league fans felt the same way. So, Zach, what do you think? It's, it's got to, something has to change and it has to change starting this offseason. Yeah, I think we'll start to see some changes. There was a report, uh, I think it was last week, that the NFL was going to kind of look um, at the officiating and, um, you know, specifically Riviera um, and kind of just try to uh, fix these problems because, like you said, I mean, it's not only happening in the games that, you know, we pay attention to with the Bears, but, I mean, it's happening literally every single week and in almost every game. I think there was one, I think it's to go back and look at the clip, but there was one that the Raiders were a little upset about where Derek Carr was sliding um, inbounds and, uh, the the refs got it screwed up, and then they apologized to John Gruden. He didn't sound too happy uh, about that one. But yeah, there's just too many calls, and it and and it's kind of funny because you'll see like the officiating will send out pool reports of you know the calls that they get right and calls they get wrong um, via video every week. Those usually come on Thursday and Friday, and I, I glance at them all you know most of the time, and I try to look at which ones the Bears are impacted by. You know, it's kind of funny because you. There's the ones you think that are obvious that they missed, they don't even talk about. Like, they don't even break down the ones that I'm pretty sure they know that they missed. Uh, instead, it's just a couple that, um, you know, a couple that maybe were borderline uh, that are happening in all the games. So, yeah, it, it, I think they definitely need to fix it because it's definitely changed over years, especially, you know, you go in this year, you have the offensive and defensive pass interference rule. Um, obviously, the, the catch rule has been a mess for years. Um, it's yeah, a lot better a lot. now, though. You know, it is better yeah. now. Yeah, I'll agree with that. I just, man, it's just, it feels like it's been forever since like we've actually had, you know, solid NFL officiating. You can go all the way back to the that Megatron play in Chicago. Where oh yeah. He he caught the pass and rolled over, and the ball kind of leaked out of his hand, and uh, they called it no catch, and everybody in the world knew that was a catch. The uh, um, the catch Dallas Green Bay playoff game that changed that complete outcome of the game where he not only did he catch the ball he took two steps he reached as he was falling down he reached and extended the ball over the goal line and it was clear as day it was a touchdown even the the Packers defender on the play afterwards said that that was a catch and a touchdown. But the officials overturned it. Another Green Bay, uh, I don't know what it is. Green Bay's got a, a horseshoe up their butt when it comes to officiating. Because if you look at the league statistics, by a large margin, Green Bay has been the beneficiary of first downs while on offense by penalty far and away more often than any other team in the league. 
Yeah, a little uh, home cooking up there at Lambeau Field. And, and go back to the, even that Lions game on Monday Night Football, which I'm sure a lot of us watched. It just felt like they were getting every single call. And yeah, it, it's kind of it's kind of fun going back and forth on Twitter with them because then you know their fans will bring up some calls in the past, and and obviously you know things do happen. They they have had some bad luck on their side, but it seems like lately they've had all the all the calls go for them, and it's it, it's kind of frustrating to watch. Well, aside from that too, uh, the Aaron Rodgers seems to have his own private play clock that that is just for him. Uh, because he literally snaps the ball after the play expires almost every single time. Like it's just, it, it it's just unbelievable. I mean, we're just at this point now where there's so much technology. The refs are, are under more pressure um, than ever because you've got people all over uh, who who have access to these, you know, HD replays and and can put clips up and and show the mistakes uh and and the league just doesn't seem to be taking quick enough action on it and i get the refs don't want to lose their jobs and they don't want to make themselves obsolete but you know a smart progressive uh approach would be to use the technology to improve things you know nobody's saying take referees off the field it's just use the existing technology to support them and we were just talking about with the patterson play You've basically got a rule in place that says if the if the referee doesn't blow the whistle and the pe- and the the turnover happens, well then it's reviewable. But if they do blow the whistle, well then it's a judgment call and it's no longer reviewable. I mean that just it's it's co- completely counterintuitive. It makes no sense. And what you have is every single week blatantly obvious wrong calls that are dominating the conversation about your league. Uh, you know, and and I don't know what's going to make it any better. I mean, they, you know, they put in place this rule in reaction to the Saints debacle, and all year long the refs have just passive aggressively ignored it. You know, like they're just like, no, it's not blatant enough. It's not blatant enough. Like, what's blatant enough? I mean, you know, for them to make a call, like uh, I don't know. I don't. I I'm I'm just I'm I'm skeptical of the league's ability to figure this out. Uh, because the, in the past, they seem to drag their feet, drag their feet, drag their feet. Yeah, it's uh, – I don't know which way we're going to go with the officiating in these coming years because I think there's going to be a lot more um, plays that are going to be reviewable. I think, you know, I don't know anything reporting or anything on this, but, um, you know, I think quarterback uh, – what is it? The rough in the past, there will be something that they're definitely going to have to look at just because of how the rule is stated and, and it's, it's pretty much a judgment call. And it, it kind of feels like, you know, if, if, if you're a rookie in this league, second, third year player, and you really haven't earned anything, you're not going to get those calls compared to a veteran, you know, like yeah. say Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, um, you know, Ben Roethlisberger, whoever it be. So yeah, I'm kind of interested to see where they go with, with the review and, and what, what plays they will make reviewable. Because like you said, a lot of them, you know, they blow them dead so quick that they can't go back and review them. I mean, how many times have we seen in the NFL alone, you know, there'll be like a fumble on the play, they'll rule a runner down when the defender, he was clearly knocked down, the defender has the ball, is clearly going to go in for a touchdown, and they'll get right. screwed on that. It's well, and, and, and curious. They, what they've been told is, and you see this when Mike Pereira comes on and Blandino and these guys that used to work for the league and now they work for the networks, what they've been told is you're not, they're supposed to let those plays go. And, and they're just not doing it. 
you know, like, and I, yeah, I, don't, yeah. I have, I do have some empathy for the refs. It's not an easy job. These players are faster than ever. I mean, honestly, like I can't imagine standing out there on these fields with these guys who are 300 pounds and can run sub five second forties, you know, or four, four forties, you know, I mean, literally they're out there with no pads and these guys have armor on. So it's not like it's an easy job, you know, and I don't want to like make this just a, you know, why can't these idiots do their job talk? But at the same time, it's it's the league failing to support them be, in in being an extremely important apparatus for the for the you know the credibility of the product. I mean, at the end of the day, that's the problem is that you have an extremely important part of the game that the league is just not putting enough resources into uh, protecting the integrity of. Yeah, and I'll, I'll agree with that. I also, you know, I I will say this. I, I 100% agree. But, however, we all still watch every single Sunday. And oh, NFL sure. It's such a cash cow for it. So it's, cra- it's just it's crazy because, you know, you'd think, yeah, they should have something in place. They should try to make improvements. Um, like, to your point, they, it should always be something that they improve and they should put their officials in the best possible position, whether that's – you know, training sessions uh, before the season, which they do do, or, you know, even during the week, a lot of, not criticism, but, you know, a lot of feedback on what went wrong. The biggest thing I, you know, for me in professional sports that I look at, you know, whether it be baseball, basketball, football, it's like, where's the accountability for the officials when they do screw up? I mean, you see a player, you know, he he, he does something wrong and, and he gets fined. Um, or, or benched. Or benched, yeah. yeah. Heck, he could he could wear the wrong pair of cleats in the mm-hmm. NFL and get fined, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars. But you got a guy that screws up a call, and it's like, uh, okay, we'll just keep rolling them out there. So, yeah, it'll be very interesting to see what they do, um, especially moving forward. You know, th- this offseason, I'll be very interested to see. One thing that we've seen over the past several weeks you know, moving moving on from the officials, um, I, I want to touch base on Mitch. Obviously, uh, he's had an up and down year. He had more downs earlier, more downs early in the season. But when you take a look at his last three games, and I am not counting the hail mary interception. Okay, I just I just don't think that that should be in the mix. But 81 for 121. 67% completion rate, 916 yards, seven t- touchdowns, three interceptions. One of the interceptions, not counting the, the Hail Mary, but you know the, the, the play that the Packer linebacker made on that interception where he threw a bullet and it basically he caught it in self-defense was a hell of a play by him. But it was interesting to hear Mitch talk post-game because it sounded like he was challenging the play calling of, of his coach, which we've never heard about before. And he's calling for, for him to get out of the pocket or to have more plays called to get him out of the pocket. What was your take on that presser? Yeah, I thought it was interested, interesting. Uh, I saw a lot of people were kind of getting upset, like, oh, you shouldn't throw your coach under the bus like that. He's defended you all season. I don't think he was throwing Matt Nagy under the bus. I don't think Mitchell Trubisky was sitting there with that answer and saying, 
Okay, yeah, let me throw let me throw Nagy. The head coach has had my back all year long. Um, under the bus. I think it was actually good. I'm I was refreshed to see Mitch stand up there, point out something that the Bears should have done better, um, and and be brutally honest about it. I mean, what I mean, what else should he say? Should he say, oh well, the same old stuff that he always says, where it's kind of robotic and oh we got you know we got to do this, we should have done this. I like I thought he was identifying, you know, a problem in the offense that day. Um, whether it falls on Nagy, whether it falls on the offensive coordinator. I mean, all around, I think the whole offense could have played better. I don't know if um, moving the pocket and, and uh, or I should say, I, well, moving the pocket should have, would have helped them. I don't know if doing anything else in the offensive line would have helped them. They just flat out could not run the football. That offensive line really struggled against the Packers front seven. And at times, the Packers were only sending, you know, three to four guys, and they were getting to Trubisky. So I can see where he's frustrated on that. I just I don't really make a big deal about it. I think it was actually, um, you know, a good thing for Mitch to say that. And it was kind of refreshing to hear him say something like that because it tells me he's starting to pick it up a little more. He's starting to, to you know, recognize what some problems are and what the Bears can do better, you know, to, to make them a better team. Speaking about running the ball, uh, we had this conversation before you came on. Uh, and I can't remember who was diagnosing some of the running plays on Twitter a couple of days ago. And he was pointing out that the line was, you know, they have six guys on the line blocking, including a, a receiver or tight end. And they've got, and the Packers had seven guys uh, in the box. And more than once, whether it was just five guys versus six or six guys versus seven, the running back ended up going into the hole where the only guy that was unaccounted for in the blocking scheme is right in front of him. And that's a problem. Now, is it a problem in the fact that one of the linemen blew the assignment? Is it a problem of the running back running to the wrong hole or, or not having the right vision. I don't know what it is, but when you look at Bears versus the Packers in the run game, they were terrible. And against the rest of the league, they're giving up a hundred yards a game. Yeah, I did see those. And I think that's become a problem all season long. Now, whose fault it is. I think it's a little bit of everything, a little bit of everything that you said. And I'd even throw in, I think the biggest problem is, Matt Nagy's run schemes are not very good. He's good at getting guys open in the passing game, but when it comes to, you know, his run schemes, his run designs, it's just not been very good this season for whatever reason. I mean, yeah, you can say the offensive line hasn't um, taken the next step and has kind of regressed a little bit. Um, David Montgomery has looked okay at times, looked good at times, but, you know, there's also times where he struggled, and maybe not all that's his fault. However, it's just like, you know, when they try to run the football, it's like they I feel like they do everything wrong. Like they they're never executing and and the play almost, you know, I'd say probably what 75% of the time doesn't work out how they want it to work out. I mean, we've seen Montgomery and what he can do. He's a solid back. I like the pick. It's like you got to get him going eventually. You got to get Tariq Cohen, you got to put him in good spots to succeed. You can't take Tariq Cohen and run him you know, east to west, 10 yards to the sideline, where he's going to get pushed out of bounds. Um, and, you know, Montgomery, you got to use him to his strengths and, and his abilities. Now, 
There's a couple plays that were broken down. I also I, I forgot who it was. Maybe it was Sage Rosenfels who broke them down. I think that's the one that you guys were talking about. Um, see, a lot of those, how I look at them is I'm kind of on both sides here. I think he's right, but I also think a lot of them that were broken down were RPOs. And when the RPOs, Mitch has got to make the biggest decision. Mitch has got to read the defensive end. He's got to see what's going on with the play. And it's up to him in his mind, do I pull it and make a throw or do I hand it off? Um, the other ones that you're talking about, yeah, that just looks like poor blocking, poor execution. Because, I mean, what was it? The Saints game, I believe, the Bears had a – either it was a quick screen or, or a, um, a pitch to Anthony Miller, and it was three Bears out in front of them. All three guys were blocking one defender, leaving three other defender, two other defenders right there to make the stop. It's just fundamental mistakes. you got to know your blocking assignments. I think the Bears have been a little better since they've moved Daniels back to guard and uh, Whitehair to center. But still, I mean, they're really struggling on the offensive line. And they are – got to keep in mind, they are missing two starters. They're essentially missing Kyle Long and they're missing um, Bobby Massey. Now, Coward has done well in pass protection, I think, but run protection where I thought he would actually be really good because I think he gets out there and he can maul. He's, you know, he's a mauler out there and he, he likes to block. He's big, physical guy. He's kind of struggled in that. Um, Cornelius Lucas has actually done a better job than I thought he would replacing Bobby Massey. But still, I mean, you look on the other side of the line, Charles Leno continues to be a problem out on the outside. He's not been very good, uh, whether that's with his penalties or run or pass blocking. So, yeah, they got a lot of problems that offensive line. I think a better run game going into next year will certainly help. I think it's going to fall on Nagy and how he schemes things. I, w- I would have to say about the run game a couple things. One is that I think it's been a the, – the he stand zone blocking schemes and Nagy's RPO schemes have been a bad marriage to in my mind. Um, I think what you, what you see with a lot of these running out of the shotgun and the RPOs is that the offensive linemen are kind of caught in between. They're not really run blocking and they're not really pass blocking. They're kind of stuck in between. So, you know, what you get is, is tentative play. And at the end of the day, we don't have top of the line offensive linemen. I, I have, and I will, and I, and I will again, I have to throw criticism at Ryan Pace for the way that he's invested in this offensive line. I mean, the fact that you are putting Coward out there, who's a nice story. I mean, okay, it's a nice story, but the fact that you are putting Coward out there is bad. Like, I'm sorry. Like he is a converted defensive lineman from old dominion. Like it's just not, it's not an acceptable uh, person to have protecting your number two overall pick quarterback. The bears are 31st in the league on spending on the offensive line, you know, uh, and, and Cornelius Lucas has basically showed Massey up. I mean, he's outplayed Massey in my opinion. Um, you know, it's, so it's just, it's just frustrating, you know, that they don't really commit to the run a lot of times, you know, and, and I thought, you know, you guys talk about the press conference. I agree with you. I don't think Mitch was trying to throw Nagy into the bus, but it was interesting in Monday's press conference, Nagy kind of shot back a little bit like, you know, Hey, just remember a lot of those uh, passes are, are, are runs, you know, that we, that we check out of, you know, um, cause they were asking him about what Mitch said and, 
you know, he, he shot back a little bit. I mean, I think ultimately Mitch is involved in the the game planning and the press, you know, and the, and the play selection to some degree. But what I think actually works against them, and especially against Green Bay, is the going quick stuff. I don't think it really helps them. Um because I just don't think that they ever get any momentum going. Like, you know, everybody wants to say, well, why don't they Why don't they run this quick game? Why don't they run no huddle? Well, you see what happens when it doesn't work is the, the, the opposite momentum makes everything collapse. And then the next thing you know, the defense is back on the field again. You know, so sometimes I think even though you don't want to let – uh, the the defense substitute. Green Bay is perfectly happy to not substitute. They would much rather be in in a dime basically against Mitch the entire game. They're perfectly happy as long as their four guys that they're rushing with are getting home to stay in that alignment. So it really wasn't a benefit to be um, you know running uh, this against that team. You know, uh, especially because I think in, to some degree Mitch. I thought he played pretty well, but I think his line checks and and his adjustments are, were not good. And it's because when Green Bay's in that set, they do a lot of disguising what they're doing. And I think he's just not up to the challenge of of, of solving it. Yeah, reading the defense has been has, has been a problem for Trubisky. And yeah, I, I agree. I think also with the RPOs, we have to kind of remember. A lot, most of those, almost all of them, the the offensive line should be run blocking no matter what, um, because the, the RPO throws are likely going to be quick, you know, quick outs or quick slants, something quick that Mitch can get out of his hands and and keep the defense a little off balance. So yeah, there, there's frustrations everywhere with with that offense. When you look at yesterday's or I guess Sunday's game, where this is Wednesday already, where are you, Halitech? Uh, <laughs> um, Mack was a no-show on the stat line again. Uh, he got credited for one tackle, but that's because Aaron Rodgers ran a, a bootleg to his left on the last play from scrimmage before they punted, and and uh, Mack, of course, touched him down. Uh, I'm not there. You, you, I don't know if you get a chance to get to to Lake Forest and and talk to the guys and, and talk to other reporters. Do you think we're going to hear at the end of the season that that Khalil Mack was nursing a nagging injury all season long? Or is it just the case that the defense isn't scheming properly against what the offense is throwing against them to protect their quarterback and the running back from, from Khalil Mack? You know, he was only on the... the uh, uh, he was only on the field for 20 of Green Bay's runs, and they only ran towards Khalil Mack three of those 20 times. But you you got to, when you go back and look at the film from last year to this year, you just don't see the explosiveness that Mack had against Minnesota and against Detroit, where, you know, he literally put a defender back on his on his rear end with one arm and, and, and tackled uh, the Detroit quarterback last year when they were playing at home. I just don't see that explosiveness from Mac this year. Yeah. Uh, it, if he did, you know, we do get our exit interviews with Mac. Um, it'll be what the, the last game is Vikings week 17, right before new year. So it'll be, yeah, it'll be like probably the day after two days after maybe we'll get our last talk with him. 
it wouldn't surprise me if he did say he was playing hurt all year. Um, he also might not even say that and could be playing hurt. You're not the first one to say that to me either. I've, I've had a friend say it as well. So I, I think that's really interesting because um, <clears throat> it's certainly a possibility. Now, I, I get all the frustrations that you know fans have. And we saw it a lot on Sunday with, with you know, where is Khalil Mack? Paid all this money. He's not impacting a game that the Bears need to you know, win to survive. Totally fair, especially when you give up that draft capital and sign up to a big contract. The thing I always tell people and, and how I look at it is this. What worries me a little more than Cleo Mack kind of struggling and not, you know, um, showing up in those big games, you, you, you know, as people like to say, is the fact that, yeah, it hurts. Yeah, it, it, it sucks. That he's not he's not showing up and impacting the game like we saw last season. However, when he's he's getting double t- double teamed and um, chipped on almost, you know, 70, 75 percent of the snaps. Very rare he gets a one-on-one. There are not many teams are going to put their tackle on an island of Cleo Mack, except for the Giants, which we saw a couple weeks ago. Still a boneheaded decision, in my opinion. However, yeah, Mack needs to win those. But what's more concerning for me is that, you know, this frees up a lot of stuff for other guys in the defensive line. If they're doubling and chipping Mack, there's going to be other guys that should be able to win their one-on-ones and maybe even come in untouched, which... Really, it's not happened. I mean, the Bears have not gotten a lot of production on their defensive line at all. Nick Williams was a big bonus this year. No one saw him coming, you know, leading the team in sacks and, and doing what he did. That's a bonus, okay? Akeem Hicks has been hurt, essentially. So, you know, kind of got to rule him out of the equation. You have Hicks and Mack in there. I think that defensive line plays a lot better. But, I mean, we it's a down year for Blal Nichols. He did have the hand injury. Can understand that. Leonard Floyd has three sacks. Two of them came in week one against the Packers. Um, you look, Eddie Goldman has been fine. He's, he's been getting pressures and hits. Doesn't have the sack numbers that you want. Um, Roy Robertson-Harris had the one big game against Green Bay. He's been kind of quiet ever since. So, yeah, it, it's tough. It's tough because you look at you look at Mack, and like I said, you pay him all that money. You give up the draft capital, and he's not r- racking up the sacks. And, and now the stat sheet, which is very fair criticism, I definitely I understand where a lot of people are coming from. I just, I think you know he does impact the game in other ways. He does get pressures. However, they just all around man that defensive line is not not the production that you'd like from last season. Part of that was injuries. Um, part of that is Mac you know getting double teamed. But I think I I trust Mac. And if he does come out and say hey you know I had an injury I was playing lingering injury, I would not be shocked at all. Um, but I think he he should return to his dominant form next season. Well, but what do they do? I mean, you talk about Leonard Floyd. Uh, this is a guy that they, I know, they picked up the fifth-year option on him, $13.5 million. I feel like they, they absolutely have to rescind that at this point. I mean, they can't can't pay him that much for that production. Like, you know, it, it, they, they've got to do something else. I mean, I, I don't necessarily want to lose him completely. I do think he's a fairly productive player, but this is not what he was drafted for. You know, people love to make excuses for Floyd and say, oh, he plays in the run so well. You know, he's so rangy and this, that, and the other. He was supposed to be a defensive end, you know, hand in the dirt, uh, Javon Curse type of guy that was going to get to the quarterback, and he absolutely has not been that. So what do you do with him? I mean, what's your opinion on that? That's going to be an interesting decision for them. Uh, I believe – 
if they keep the tag, it's going to be around $15 million next season. Uh, and like you said, man, that's that's a lot of money for a guy who hasn't really produced like a first-round pick should, top 10 pick actually should. And you expect this guy to be a, a, just a beast and rack up the sacks, double-digit sack guy every year. Um, we haven't seen that, and I, I don't believe, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't believe he's had double-digit sacks in any of his seasons so far with the Bears. Yeah, no, he has he has like 18 in his whole career, and like eight of them have come against the Packers. Yeah, it's like right? every time he it, plays the Packers, it's like two sacks essentially. Right. But, right. Except for last week. Except yeah. for last week. Yep. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I don't know, man. That's that's a very tough decision because edge rushers, quarterbacks, those are hard positions to find, and you have to say to yourself, okay, do I want to go out and try draft another edge rusher? Do I am I comfortable with what I have? I thought Aaron Lynch was fine this year. I don't think Aaron Lynch is is, is a starter on this team. Um, but yeah, I mean, does Ryan Pace want to go out and spend a draft pick at an edge rusher, take a chance? Does he want to try in free agency? I don't know. And and the other part about it is, like you said, I mean, he just really hasn't produced like you expect him to produce. He has shown he's decent in coverage, but you don't can't use a top ten pick on a on an edge rusher just to cover. I mean, you got to right. have some sack production, and and yeah, you could say, well, well, Cleo Mack hasn't had sack production, but let me let me tell you, let me ask you this: if if I gave you those two names and I say which one do you think would have the bigger breakout year and 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 return to form next season? I mean, almost all of us would probably pick Cleo Mack essentially. So, right. Yeah, it's tough, man. That's going to be one of the interesting decisions they're going to have to make this off season. As it stands now, I mean, they have a tag on them. Uh, I think it would be like 15 million. They could try to get a discount and sign him to maybe a two, three-year deal, but then you're you're keeping him around. If he does take a hometown discount, which would be cheaper than the 15 million um, in the one year, I think that's the viable option to go. Uh, I just I don't know what they're going to do because I, I haven't really seen a lot on the uh, the free agent market for edge rushers right now. I haven't done a lot of homework. I'm actually going to start all that this week, but. Yeah, it's that's gonna be one of the decisions I'm looking at for the Bears this offseason. Speaking of the offseason, Zach, uh, man, where do you start? Uh, Trevathan, uh, Prince, Shaheen, Long, probably all four of those guys are not going to be with the team again uh, going into 2020. Um, I know Prince's cap savings is nine million dollars. The cap went up to uh, almost 200 million, if not over 200. We'll know a little bit more about the cap, but it's going over. It's going up over, you know, 10 million dollars again this year, which is they've done that in in about what each of the last three years. So there's there's a lot of work that needs to be done, but I think you have to start with the offensive line. You have to look at cornerback. You have to look at tight end, and you have to look at inside linebacker. Uh, you're going to have to bring in a quarterback. I'm, I am not convinced that they're going to bring in a veteran. I think they'll bring in a, a late-round draft choice uh, for tutelage underneath Mick, and who knows, you might get a you know a surprise like uh, Greer or um, you know Minshew or or these other you know, the the Duck in Pittsburgh. Uh, you just you just don't know. But changes are coming, and and this is a team that was what 12 and four last year. Uh, maybe we'll finish eight and eight this year and changes are coming. Changes have to come. It's going to be interesting to see what the bears do and what they address 
They might not address the most important need first, just the way chips fall in, in the free agent market. They might they might choose to uh, do something in the draft with their two second round picks. Uh, so it's going to be interesting. But you know, a couple of things. You know, the, the the tight end situation was abysmal until a couple of weeks ago, and then they all but got shut out. Uh, against Green Bay. So uh, why did they get go completely away from the tight ends last week? Uh, w- one bright spot in this year has to be the play of Anthony Miller after the Oakland game, after he had that dumb penalty that, uh, and then he, he missed the coverage on the kickoff return on the very ensuing kickoff. He's been pretty much a different player, and he's been playing lights out. He had what uh, he had, the, I think, the most catches he's ever had in one one game. He threw gained over a hundred yards uh, in receiving against Green Bay. When was the last time we had two receivers with over a hundred yards against anybody, let alone the Packers? You know, Trubisky threw for 334 yards against Green Bay. Uh, not too shabby. He's thrown for, you know, we talked about this earlier, in his last three games, not counting that, that, that interception on the Hail Mary at the end of the first half, he's 81 for 121, 916 yards, seven TDs, three interceptions, completing 67% of his passes with a QB rating of 98.3. I'll take that all game long. I'll take it all year long if he can put up those kinds of numbers consistently. But we have to see it starting from week one next year. Yeah, I don't. They're definitely going to bring in a quarterback, whether it's a veteran, um, or you know maybe a combo of a veteran and maybe like a sixth, seventh round pick or an undrafted guy. Um, either that, or maybe you spend one of those second round picks on a on a quarterback. It was kind of the hot debate yesterday on Twitter. I I'm a fan right now. I like Eason. I like Jacob Eason out of Washington. I think he's got the chance to be Matthew Stafford. And if he's there in the second round, I think that's kind of a risk you take. Trubisky's going to be on the roster next year. That's everyone knows that his his contract's fully guaranteed. You're not going to pay him to go, you know, somewhere else. So I, I think the main thing for the Bears is you have to bring in competition. You have to bring in competition for Mitchell Trubisky. He has not had competition, you know, essentially in his entire career here. You could say Mike Glennon is competition. Okay, we all knew where that was going. Trubisky was going to be a starter eventually that year unless Mike Glennon had an incredible MVP season, which, I mean, what were the chances of that? Less than 1%. So I, getting competition here to push Mitch is, is is very key because they bring in a veteran. Say they bring in, uh, let's go, Marcus Mariota or Andy Dalton, or they draft a second-round pick, or, or they bring in a, an undrafted guy or seventh-rounder. If Trubisky beats him out, I'd feel a lot more comfortable. I think that's kind of the path that they're going to go down is we want Trubisky to win the job next season. Show us that you're going to win the job and be the starter. And then if, you know, let's say five or six games in the year, he's really struggling and the Bears are one and four, they're two and three, and he's just, he looks like he did this year earlier. I think then you have a safety net to, okay, we're going to go to the veteran or we're going to go to the rookie um, after that mark. So, yeah, that's first thing is you got to get some competition for Trubisky. You got to address a tight end position. You look at all these teams. I like to use the 49ers as a good example. Dominant defense. They had a defense that the Bears had last season. This year, the 49ers are doing so well. They have Jimmy Garoppolo, who's a serviceable quarterback. I'm not a big fan of him. 
I think he can win you some playoff games. He's not lighting it up. I mean, he's been good in some games. He's been bad in some games. He's been mediocre in the rest. They have a really good run game in San Francisco with a really good run scheme. They also have a tight end who is pretty much an all-pro, one of the best tight ends in the game. You look at Kansas City, they have an, uh, an all-pro tight end in Travis Kelsey. You look at uh, Philadelphia, they have an all-pro tight end in, in Zach Ertz. And those are the two teams right there that you know Matt Nagy's offense is most similar to and it's kind of designed around. And then you have the 49ers who are a team you can look in. Great Super Bowl defense, um, decent quarterback, but a really good run game. You know, I'd take the Bears wide receivers over theirs, but I mean, I would I would obviously take their tight end and their run game as it stands now. Yeah, it's 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 going to be an interesting offseason. I think you know the the quarterback, the tight end, the offensive line are going to be the three big pieces you need to fix. Um, in terms of the defense, I think there's some decisions. I would personally try bringing back um, Danny Trevathan. I think you're going to have to make a decision between Trevathan and Kwiatkowski. I would lean towards a veteran, depend on the price, though. If Trevathan is going to ask for a lot of money, that's kind of out of the Bears' range. You know, having Nick Kukowski and bringing him back in is is not a bad backup plan. I think you go, you know, you, you make um, Prince of Mukamura a cap casualty. Try to bring back someone like HaHa Clinton Dix if you're not comfortable with Deion Bush. They're going to have, and obviously Long, I don't, Long was probably done um, Done, no, he's done with the Bears, but he might be done with his football playing career. It's just there's going to be a lot of interesting decisions. And, and, you know, the bright spot about a bad season is the off-seasons are always fun. Like last season, the off-season was, eh, it was kind of boring, we could say. I mean, the Bears didn't really make any big moves. This year could be a lot different, especially with the cap space going up. So it'll be a very interesting off-season. My biggest fear, Zach, is that because of all the misfortune and the injuries that they that they don't do enough. The, the fact of the matter is, is that if Matt Nagy was not the play caller and the offensive coordinator, he would be fired. Like if there was a different guy who was doing those jobs, he would be fired after this season. Uh, Tom Waddle brought this up the other day that they are basically just barely better than the Dowell Loggins offense with Mike Glennon and their rookie Mitch Trubisky. They're about one and a half points better and about 25 yards better a game. That's an that's an absolute failure for a guy that was brought in to be an offensive genius or an offensive guru. So uh, what I would do if I was Pace is I would fire Helfrich. I would fire Ragone. I would fire uh, Furry. I would fire Childress and bring in an entirely new offensive brain trust. And just, you know, basically stuff, they, the, Nagy's little crew of yes men around him need to go away because they have failed to develop Mitch. I'm sure he has a part in it, but they've absolutely failed to develop him. And I look at the Vikings as a great comp in terms of what they did. They they brought in Filippo, who was a hot uh, coordinator and he even had some head coaching interviews. It failed. And so they scrapped it, you know, they, they went away from that. They brought in Kubiak, they, they, they changed course. They went back to running the ball. They went back to play action, you know, and look at where they are now. You know, it hasn't been easy, but they, they tailored their, their offense around the investment they made in the quarterback. Uh, Nagy keeps trying to force Mitch into his system well, you know, Mitch isn't Mahomes, and Mitch isn't even Alex Smith. So 
you know, but he is, I believe, talented enough for this team with this defense and the talent that they have and the rest of the offense to win and perhaps even to win playoff games, you know. But Nagy has to swallow his pride and, um, you know, I think that they, they have to make changes. Will they do that? I don't think so. Unfortunately, I think they're, you know, I think w- what we're looking at is they're going to largely run it back. Um with the group that they have, I think you're going to see some, hopefully some upgrades on the offensive line to some degree. I think that, like you said, I think they will bring a different uh, backup quarterback because ultimately the whole chase Daniel being another quarterback coach, it just doesn't help you when, when they need a backup to come in and play. Um, you know, he's just not a guy that can really win you games and you know, he's, he's, he's not cheap either. So you got to do that. that. Brings up think- a- Hey, yeah, Aaron, ahead. that brings up yeah. a great question for both of you. Do you let Ragone go away and and make Chase Daniel the quarterback coach starting next year? Uh, I, I don't see that happening. Um, I think we're probably another year or two away from um, kind of that scenario of cleaning house on the offense. Um, as far as Daniel, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if – he might still want to play somewhere else. Um, they're just, I, I agree though. They're just paying him way too much money to, like you said, to be just another mind in the room. He's not going to come out there and win you games. Um, and you're, you're just paying him so much money to do that. I, as far as the whole scenario, just cleaning the house on offense. I still think that at least another year, they're a bad offensive year, maybe next year from doing all that. Well, that would be the third year in a row though. Like, I mean, the offense wasn't good last year rankings wise. Like the, the, more often than not, this offense has failed to score 20 points a game. That's just not going to work. I mean, every rule in the game is designed to help out the offense and we can't seem to do it. I, and I think it's funny because you look at what's going on in Philadelphia. To me, I feel like this offense and this RPO stuff has kind of been figured out by the league. Um, and, and you see teams like the 49ers and the Vikings and Baltimore and a lot of these teams going back to, um, going back to old school football, running out of the eye, you know, real play action, you know, um, and, and maybe the RPO. And I, I think everybody still has elements of it in there, but, but to focus so much on it, I don't think it's working. I mean, obviously Philadelphia's had a lot of injuries, um, but you look at, you know, Carson Wentz, they're questioning uh, that him and that quarterback signing and and where they're at. So um, I just, my fear is that they're just going to run it back. And I don't know if that's going to work. I mean, you know, it's, uh, I think this defense has has done well and i think pagano has done well the defense is still ranked very highly uh they never get to play with the lead which is i think why you've had uh the the reduction in sack numbers and turnovers i mean that's just fluky um but you know number one if you're not going to get a pass rush the turnovers are going to go down so um you know it, it it's uh what worries me is, like I said, that there's just been so much sort of uh, uncontrollable misfortune is how they'll view it. And basically, you know, they'll feel like, well, if we just, you know, run it back. Now, you look at the schedule next year. <laughs> I mean, it, you know, it, it, that's how, that's the thing in this league. The difference between a good team and a bad team is not that great. I mean, they could, you know, you, it, 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 they could easily go 12 and four 
you know, looking way too far ahead at the schedule. I don't know. Yeah, their schedule is all but set except for one home game, and that's going to be either the Giants or the Redskins, depending on who's going to finish third in the NFC East this year. But they play they play the NFC South. They play the AFC South in addition to their home-and-home home games versus uh, the, the NFC North. Zach, as we've been recording, the, the Bears just announced that uh, Trevathan was put on injured reserve uh, for the last two games of the year, and they, they signed a kid off of their practice squad, a defensive back by the name of Michael Joseph. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, the Trevathan move was pretty much expected as soon as the Bears were eliminated from the playoffs. I think if they would have won last week, he probably would have given it a go this week or next week or even the playoffs if they would have made it. Yeah, it's time to look at some of this younger talent. Michael Joseph is a second-year guy. He's a, a he's a local kid near Chicago, um, played at Dubuque. Um, and it also makes me wonder if, if Prince of Mucamora is 100% healthy, especially if they're calling up a defensive back. So we'll see if we get to see some of these younger guys. Maybe Riley Ridley gets some more snaps in. Um, a guy like Michael Joseph. Maybe we'll look at Alex Bars. Um, you know, players like that over the, over the final two games of this regular season just to see what they got. I really hope so. Uh, Mukamara, uh, he's uh, he was hurt. I, I thought Tolliver played well for him, and I didn't think Mukamara should have come back in that Packer game. Um, you know, he's eventually benched for injury and, and honestly performance. I mean, you know, that him missing the tackle on Aaron Jones on the drive out of the was brutal, um, you know, and, and he just looks a step slow. I mean, I think he's played well in spots this year, but you talk about him being a cap casualty. I think that's a given. I mean, that's a nine and a half million dollars. Like you just he can't he can't come back at that pay rate and somebody else will probably pay him that. Um, but I like, you know, I think Tolliver looked looked good, um, you know, and I think he has a he has a great potential to um, to replace him. Uh, you know, it's it'll be interesting to see uh, what else you know what else happens. You talked about Haha. Um, I think Haha has been solid for us, but my concern with the safeties in general is that now you've got Eddie Jackson kind of playing out of position, I think, you know, because Haha and Eddie are kind of the same player in a lot of ways. And I think even though I wouldn't have paid Adrian Amos that much money, I think that they've missed that sure, steady in the box type of presence that he gave. Uh, he's not a ball hawk. He's not a turnover machine, but you knew where Amos was going to be all the time. And he was pretty much going to make tackles. Now I think Dick, Clinton Dix has been a better tackler uh, than advertised um, but I think it, it, what's happened is, you know, Eddie and him are kind of mirroring each other and neither one of them are allowed to be the true free safety. Um, so I, I'm not sure if they bring him back or not. I mean, you know, I don't know what the market looks like at safety, but I, I'd like to see them draft another safety if they can, um, you know, just to get some more in the pipeline. I'm not convinced that Deion Bush can be a guy that, that uh, plays the whole season. Hey, Zach, before we let you go, one thing I, I, I wanted to get your opinion on is, is the competition in the NFC has just absolutely been amazing this year. You know, Dallas can, will fall on their face one week and they'll look like an all-world team the next week. San Francisco just got off of a brutal stretch and they, they dropped their pants against Atlanta. But you've got 
New Orleans, Seattle, San Francisco, and Green Bay, all at 11 and 3 this year. Minnesota will probably finish with at least 11 wins this year. Uh, you know, and you've got, I don't know if Minnesota can make it to the first seed, but you've got Green Bay can be a first seed, New Orleans can be a first seed, and even Seattle or San Francisco. Right now, San Francisco at 11 and 3 is the fifth seed. Imagine them having to go in to play. Uh, who, would, who would they end up playing? Uh, either Dallas or Philadelphia. But they have to go on the road to do it, despite the fact that Dallas and Philadelphia, uh, one of those might might win the division and finish seven and nine. So who, who knows what's going to happen in the playoffs? But have you ever seen this much talent in one conference before? Oh uh, yeah, I mean it's happened before, but I just think this year, I mean it's it's kind of crazy. Like you said, listen up all those teams, and you got you know either the um, <clears throat> Seahawks or 49ers um, are gonna have to go pretty much essentially to um, Dallas or Philadelphia, um, or even maybe the Vikings, depending on how it all shakes up. Vikings or Packers might have to go on the road and, and play a team that you know probably is gonna win the division at eight and eight or or nine and seven. <laughs> pass. It's just it's it's a brutal year for the Bears to be seven and seven right now because I think any other year um, they'd probably be right there for the number six seed. They they still wouldn't be eliminated. So yeah, it's a it's a brutal year because especially look at the NFC North. You have two teams that could end up with eleven wins. Um, you have the uh, three teams out west in um, Seattle and San Francisco at the top two, and then you have the Rams fighting for a playoff spot. And then you look at the South, the Saints are obviously a juggernaut. No one else in that division is going to the playoffs. And the East is kind of like, oh, they're just kind of out there. No, they're the East. They're going to get a, they're going to get someone in at eight and eight or uh, whatever nine and seven, um, which is just absolutely brutal. And then they'll be hosting a playoff game. So yeah, it's, it was a very tough division right from the start. You saw it. I mean, when the Bears got off that three and one start, they were still second place in their division, and I believe they were just right there for like the sixth or fifth seed. Um, in the NFC, and, and, and they were kind of in that cluster with Minnesota. The Rams are right there. The Seahawks are right there for the wild card. Um, at the time, the Eagles were there, the wild card. Yeah, it's brutal, man. It is. It's. It was a tough year um, for the Bears to be, you know, seven and seven going into the final two games. Well, and I think honestly that gives that should give Bears fans hope that as much has gone wrong this year. They're still, we're still very close to being a playoff team. I mean, you're you're talking about the Charger Charger game with the kick, the the Raider game uh, with the running into the kicker. You know, a, a couple things here or there. So, you know, I, I I get really tired of the the Bears fans that are out here calling for everybody's head. I mean, I know I just said fire the whole offensive staff, but I don't think you should fire Matt Nagy. Nothing even close to the case. Uh, Mitch Trubisky is going to be back next year, and that's fine. I don't think that this team is that far away. This is not the team when Tressman's uh, club was getting beaten by 40 points, you know, and and everybody was turning against each other. You know, the players and and Nagy have done an amazing job holding together and continuing to compete and not turning on each other, you know, despite 
all of the the misfortune that's gone on. Uh, but it is it is kind of unfortunate. You know, one thing uh, it, that they came out the other day, and I don't know if you saw this. I'm sure you did. Was Vic Fangio's idea about changing the the scheduling and the playoff seating? Uh, and, and personally. I like it. Um, I don't know how much you saw of it, but basically there would be less division games and you would have um, less emphasis on the divisions and it would just be based on the seeding. Um, you know, so you'd have teams with better records uh, getting in, you know, and, and you wouldn't have this this issue with the NFC uh, least, you know, in this case, uh, you know, having these eight and eight, seven and nine teams possibly getting into the playoffs. Do you think the league would ever go for, you know, something that drastic in terms of switching things up? Uh, not in the intermediate future. Mm-hmm. I think possibly down the line, uh, it, it would be nice. I think it'd be a lot more fair for some of these teams. But right now, I think they're just, they're they're pretty confident with how it is, and, and mm-hmm. I think you know it, it might have changed after we saw what 2010 when was Seattle won at eight and eight or whatever the division they won the NFC West and the Bears being in the playoffs. Yeah, I don't I don't think it's gonna happen anytime soon, but man, it'd be nice if they could kind of switch things up and give us a little bit of a different playoff seating format. I mean, at the end of the day, NFL teams more than any other sport, all the teams I believe have some hope, you know, so that's a good thing. It's not a problem, and I don't think the league's going to necessarily do it. But I wouldn't be opposed to it. I mean, I don't, you know, I mean, you know, and not every division has these great historical matchups like like our division does. I mean, I don't think, you know, you know who, but my biggest thing is why it would never happen is because the Patriots would block it, <laughs> you know, because if there's any team that benefits from playing, you know, uh, all the division games that they get to play, it's them because every year they just, you know, you can chalk up five or six wins automatically for them because the Dolphins and the Jets and the Bills are always bad. So interesting scenario that you bring up because, well, first of all, the, the New York Giants in 2011 finished nine and seven. And ended up winning the the uh, Super Bowl, right? And they they did finish first in their division, so they weren't right. even a, a wild card team, right? Uh, when we get to this talk, whether they're going to expand the season to either 17 or 18 games, the only way that they could do this, in my opinion, is if they went to a 17 game schedule, everybody would play every team in their conference that would be 15 games and then they would play two games against an an afc team that they would rotate throughout the years that's Mm -hmm. probably the only way it would work as far as i'm concerned if they go to if they go to an 18 game schedule the easiest way to to do that is you still have the format where you play one full division in the afc one full division in the NFC, and then the other two, the the one, the first seed in your division plays the first and fourth, and the second plays the second and third of of the other two divisions in your conference. That would make it an 18-game season, and that's the easiest way for them to do that, but you would still have your home and home against your, your three-division opponents if they went to an 18-game season. So I, I don't see any other way around that. Fang, I like Fangio's idea, and then you just seed everybody by conference, mm-hmm. and you have the top six teams go to the playoffs, and, and that's it. You're done. It, one of the things that, that people were talking about years ago 
was throw seeds out so that the the you see them one through twelve in both conferences, and so the one count the one seed in the two seed might end up meeting in the Super Bowl, but they might be from the same conference instead of instead of a a best AFC team versus the best NFC team. Right. But that could be the very best matchup that you could see that possible that year. So it's going right. to be interesting to see what happens with the collective bargaining agreement uh, coming up here. Uh, what and they want to hope to have one done before the draft, I believe. Isn't that correct, Zach? Uh, yeah, somewhere along those lines. There's been some talk that they they want to get it done quick in the off season. So we can only hope because yeah. <laughs> you know every time we've had a um, a uh, a service outage where they've they've had replacement players for lack of a better term or they we've lost some games like we did back in the early 80s and the and the uh, in the late 80s you, know, you had two work stoppages you had the only a nine game season in Ditka's first year as a head coach or this is or his second year and they only played 15 games in a in a game or two with quote unquote replacement players uh, shortly after the Bears won the Super Bowl. I can't remember if it was back in 87 or, or 88. Uh, in 89, the Bears won their first four games, and then Dan Hampton got injured. And when Akeem Hicks went down, you know, I was fearing the same type of disaster. Bears only won two games that year, despite the fact that they had some, some great players on that team, and they finished 6-10. and 10. They might finish seven and nine this year, which is similar to what happened in '89. But then they bounced back uh, again the, the following year. So, who knows what's going to happen? The off season starts now because we've got to see what uh, what some of these reserves can do. I hope they play them in these next two games. Zach, it's been a pleasure to have you on board. Uh, I hope you'll come on in January when we're talking postseason albeit without the Bears being in it. And then throughout the offseason, you're always welcome to come back. Yeah, for sure. Anytime you guys need me, I'd be more than happy to help. All right. We will be right back to wrap up after a word from our sponsor, TickSplits.com. I just heard my favorite band is in town. I'd love to get good seats, but everywhere I've looked, the ticket sites have crazy service fees. Haven't you heard of Tick Splits? Who? Tick Splits. They don't gouge you with crazy fees. The price they advertise is the price you pay, plus a small delivery fee. Never pay service fees again. Go to TixBlitz.com today. TickSplits.com. Guaranteed seats, low prices. That's TickSplits.com. Every ticket, every venue, everywhere. Thank you so much to our guest, Zach Pearson. He is uh, an amazing talent, Pro Football Writers Guild, he's bearreport.com, and as always, ticksplits.com, where you don't ever pay service fees. Use our, our special promo code, TAILGATE, T-A-I-L-G-A-T-E, and save 5% off of all of your ticket purchases, whether it's sports, concerts, Broadway, music festivals. Aaron, that wraps up a show for uh, for this week, and uh, I believe this is our last show of the regular season due to scheduling conflicts because we normally tape on Wednesdays, and the next two Wednesdays are Christmas and New Year's. If we do get a, a uh, an episode in sometime in the next two weeks, we'll let you guys know, but uh, uh, we'll be talking 
in the end of the year, after the first of the year, we'll get back on and we'll be talking about what's going on in the offseason. And, of course, we still can talk about Bears playoffs. So, Zach, uh, uh, we appreciate you coming on board. And Double A, any final last words for our wonderful audience? No, um, I just think, uh, you know, we've got two more games, uh, and I think, uh, you know, hopefully they, they can be somewhat competitive. Uh, we want to keep seeing uh, the growth from Mitch. Um, and like I just said before, I, I don't think this team is that far away. It feels it feels bad. This season definitely has been a big disappointment, but um, I don't feel like we've we're we're that far away from being back uh, to where we were last year. I think, you know, everybody needs to uh, pump their brakes a little bit, talking about the Super Bowl and things like that, um, you know, but we're still a very talented team, very competitive team. Um, you know, let's hope that uh, Mitch uh, shows up and, and has a nice game against Kansas City. Uh, and then uh, we always do well against the Vikings. So two more games to enjoy. And then we've uh, we've got the offseason. And the offseason in the NFL uh, is, is a lot of fun, too. Um, so everybody just, you know, keep keep your heads about you. Keep your wits about you. And, uh, you know, bear down. And uh, we've got we've got some good things ahead. We do appreciate you guys listening. Please rate and subscribe. Uh, please uh, share the show. And, of course, we do always uh, appreciate the sponsorship of ticksplits.com you can use the promo code tailgate to get five percent off your order uh, and uh thanks so much enjoy the rest of your week and the rest of your day have a great week everybody <laughs>